what's up? My name is Harmony, and this is What the Actual F. The case we're going to talk about today actually happened over the summer, June of 2020 to be exact. Now, before I continue, I'm going to go ahead and state right now that this is definitely under, I guess, listener's discretion because this is an extremely graphic case. A lot of you guys are going to know this case, but only the viral part of it. There is a lot to this, and it is very graphic. I'm going to be talking about dismembering of bodies and sexual assault. So please continue on your own. June of 2020, everything is basically closed down, and restaurants are offering takeout only. The nightlife, well, that's pretty much non-existent. And it was turning out that the summer of 2020 was basically shaping up to be that of fear, precaution, and extreme boredom. Two apps became very popular due to the world's unusual times. TikTok, a video sharing platform, and Randonautica, a new app that promised unexpected adventures right in your very own neighborhood. It was a sunny day in June when three teens in Seattle, Washington, decided to go randonauting. They headed out looking for a random GPS coordinate, not knowing what they were about to find. The group had been filming their experience and posted it to TikTok. User Ugg Henry posted the now-removed video on June 20th, showing the group discovering the suitcase. At first, they'd laugh initially thinking it may be filled with money, according to a caption. One girl opens the top, lifting it from a distance with a wooden stick, revealing a black plastic bag filled with something. As soon as she opened it, the smell was overwhelming, read another caption. They called the police in the video, and it ends with police being shown surrounding the beach. Police would later confirm the contents inside the suitcase were human remains, and said investigators had found several other bags in the area, also filled with body parts. Now, for those of you who aren't exactly sure what Randonautica is, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of it. It's advertised as the world's first quantumly generated choose-your-own-adventure game. Now, Randonautica uses manifestation and intentions in regards to its coordinates. So, with this app, you focus on your intention, whatever it is, and Randonautica will then give you GPS coordinates to go to. I myself, I've gone a few times after seeing so many videos filling my For You page of TikTok, and frankly for me, nothing was interesting for me to report back. Nonetheless, now you all know what the app is exactly. In this case, however, the app led the teens right to a black suitcase. Now, this all happened the day before the video was posted. The video was posted on the 20th, so this was all discovered on the 19th. Now, here's where a lot of people stopped following along with the case. See, the video that I just mentioned about the teens finding this black suitcase went viral on TikTok. From there, it was shared everywhere on the internet. I'm assuming you have internet since you're listening to this podcast. And if you do, you've probably seen this video of the teens discovering the suitcase. But this is where everyone sort of stopped following along. 
Since then, a lot has been discovered, and that's what I am here to tell you about. Today, I'm going to tell you about the TikTok suitcase murders. The remains belong to a young couple, Austin Wenner, who was 27, and the other was Jessica Lewis, who was 35. It was discovered that they had been shot and dismembered before being put in the suitcase. Austin went by the name of Cash, or Cash Money according to his social media. He attended Kent Washington High School, and at this time, him and Jessica had been together for roughly about eight years. Their families say that Austin and Jessica had been through a lot in that time, and they stuck together, and that ultimately, that had strengthened their relationship. Austin and Jessica had not only been shot, but severely beaten. Jessica was shot multiple times, while Austin had only been shot once. There were some feathers found on body parts and even grass found in Jessica's mouth. So possibly there had been maybe a struggle and she fell when she was shot. Now Jessica was described as being a ray of sunshine, very friendly, very caring and loving. She was a mother to four children. Two had already graduated high school, one was in middle school, and then there was her youngest. At this time, Jessica was working at Laura's adult family home, an assisted living facility for adults with disabilities. Austin's mother described him as being a wonderful person, very loving, enjoyed the outdoors and trucks and so much more. Now, there have been talk online and some other sources about Austin's history, stating that he had a couple of misdemeanor charges, but this ultimately, it seems like, has nothing to do with his murder. I am not here to discuss whether or not things that Austin and Jessica were doing in their life were illegal or not. What I'm here to tell you about is the fact that they were brutally murdered and who did it. So who could have done this? Investigators began questioning people that the couple knew. And this is where it gets a little bit complicated. So bear with me as we're going to kind of jump around according to investigators' uh, interviews and court affidavits and just a bunch. I'm going to try to get this in a timeline, but just work with me here. They spoke with Austin's parents, his cousin and aunt, and then to Jessica's father. Many of them stated a lot of the same things. And I'll tell you the things that they all agreed on and then different things and who they were said by. Since December 2019, Jessica and Austin had been renting a room from a man named Michael Lee Dudley in his home on Ombom Road in Burien, Washington. Now, Burien is a suburb in King County located just south of Seattle. Now, from the location where they lived, it would take roughly about 20 minutes to get where the teens had discovered the suitcase and other body parts that were found by police in the area on Alki Beach. Now, again, those close to Austin called him Cash, and Jessica was known as Jesse to those close to her. Austin was a father as well to a son born in 2014. I'm not sure how involved he was in his son's life as I couldn't find a whole lot about him, so I just wanted to state that he was also a father. Now, something was constantly repeated to investigators in the interviews with friends and family. 
And that was that Jessica and Austin felt unsafe. Apparently, Austin had gotten on the wrong side of a local Samoan group and had claimed that they had attacked him and Jessica at their residence. The last time Austin's mother had seen the couple, they had gone to her house and were doing yard work to make some extra money. This is when Austin had told his mother that these men had come into their room with a gun, beat them both, and demanded that they give them money. Austin's cousin said that he believed that they were involved in some sort of scheme or illegal scam involving credit cards or $1,200 card relief, like COVID cards. I'm not positive, but that's what he believed. Now, again, I'm not here to judge anybody, especially in the case of the fact that these are two victims who were brutally murdered, dismembered, and then their bodies stuffed in trash bags and shoved into suitcases, then thrown around this Seattle area. And I'm sorry, but nobody deserves that. I'm I'm not saying that they were doing the best things in their life either, but that that's brutal and I that's just really that's heartbreaking. Now, Austin had told his mother that this group were after him and he had also told his father the same thing when he had seen him. When Austin's father had last seen him and Jessica in the first week of June, they had actually made plans to meet up the following week. But they never called to like fully schedule or solidify those plans. And then he decided, well, I'll call them, you know, it's fine. And they never answered. I believe that Austin maybe didn't have his own phone. So anytime someone needed to reach him, they just called Jessica's phone. And again, they were not answering her phone. So at this point, Austin's father hasn't gotten any answers and he decides to just go to the house on Ambam Boulevard to see if he can maybe talk to them in person. This is when he ran into the landlord, Mike Dudley. Now, Mike told him that Austin and Jessica had left in a hurry. They even left almost all of their belongings behind. As Austin's father was leaving the house, he noticed that some of his son's clothes were outside in the trash can. So, at this point, everything's kind of strange, and it seems as though Jessica and Austin were involved in some sort of illegal activities, and maybe they crossed the wrong group or person. Now, there is a lot of talk from the family that Jessica and Austin needed money. That was another reason that they were doing the yard work for his mother. Also, the last time Jessica's father had seen them, he gave them food and cash. Also, Austin had said, there were some Samoans threatening them at their residence, saying that they wanted money. A friend of Jessica's aunt also reported that Austin had told her they had gotten into some trouble with the Samoans and that they were afraid for their lives. Another witness and her ex-boyfriend both told police that Austin told them he had pissed off a Samoan, who had written Austin's name on a bullet and put it in the mailbox of the house that he was staying at. Now, Austin's aunt, who also spoke to him two weeks before he died, also mentioned that Austin told her about the bullet in the mailbox as well. So, police went to Jessica and Austin's residence, the house of Mike Dudley, where they were renting the room. They wanted to speak to Mike, who was the couple's landlord. So, the police had gotten information from a witness who came forward 
after Austin and Jessica's identities were released. The witness claimed he had lived next door to Michael previously, and he had actually met Austin on the premises once. This witness claimed that although he no longer lived next door, his wife and children still did, and that they reported hearing gunshots coming from Michael, Austin, and Jessica's house next door on June 9th. Other neighbors had also heard gunshots that night, as well as a male voice yelling, please don't do this, just let me leave, before the shots were fired. Police were called to the residence and they knocked on the door, yet they left when nobody answered. Seems about right. Seems about right with uh, how police tend to respond to things. Then more witnesses started coming forward with firsthand accounts of being in the house and interacting with Mike Dudley. A witness known only as Witness D told police that she knew Mike Dudley, but had never met the victims. She had been introduced to Mike through a friend, and Mike told her that he had a room available for rent. On the evening of June 9th, she was brought to the house by someone referred to as Witness F. However, when she arrived with her stuff, she noticed that Mike's glasses were broken and he even seemed to have scratches on him that to her looked as though that they could be defensive wounds. Then apparently Witness F, the one who had brought her there, took a shower and left as one does when they drop off a friend. I don't know. You guys are assuming I have friends. I wouldn't know. Maybe you guys shower at other people's houses. I don't know. I'm a, I don't have friends. Witness D also took a shower. Oh, I see where this is going. And then proceeded to go into the room that there, that she was renting. Now she states when she opened the door, there was a big pile of clothing and under it, she could see what she thought could be a figure of a person as well as a bloody hand sticking out. So uh, she closes the door and wanted to go find Mike to find out what was going on. But she was also really scared, obviously. So I guess she sort of asked him in a joking manner. I don't know the specifics on how she would do it in a joking manner, especially like now when I end up telling you more later on, you're going to understand how terrifying this looking back how this this could have been like how dangerous this could have gotten for her but she did it jokingly somehow just basically asking if there was a dead body in the room <laughs> yeah so what was rent again you know I don't know so according to witness D though after she made the joke about a dead body being in the room but um uh Mike laughed now apparently witness D also noticed a few things I'm assuming after the room had been cleaned up and she moved her things in, she found a bullet hole in the nightstand and another in the footboard of the bed frame. And when she turned the TV on, it was already connected to a Roku device registered to Austin Wenner. So at some point on June 9th, Mike told Witness D that he needed to clean the mess. You know, obviously. Being, he was being a good landlord, guys, okay? Just let me clean this room for you. I noticed that you said there were, there was a possible dead body. <laughs> oh, I too get jokes. Let me clean it. That's fine. You know, so he, he says, uh, I need to, I need to clean this. And he, he even asked her to leave so that he could do so. He then gave her the keys to his truck so that she could go out 
and he could clean up, you know, just, oh, here, this is fine. Take my car. It's fine. It's fine. Go drive around town. And enjoy yourself. I know we're in the middle of a pandemic, but get out. Go away. Social distancing. Be gone. I need to clean. But before she left, Witness D saw Mike in the basement laying down large sheets of plastic. So when she asked him about it, he had said that he had had a couple of tenants who were living in her room and they had been giving him a lot of trouble. These tenants had agreed to pay him $1,500 a month, but they hadn't been paying and were refusing to leave. He also stated that he believed that they had been stealing from him and was concerned that they had brought illegal activities into his home. Even telling her that that very same day, these tenants had locked him out, not once, but twice. Okay, but can we talk about the real crime here? He is charging $1,500 for a bedroom. A bedroom. I pay roughly that for a townhouse in Florida, in Tampa, right by Busch Gardens and Disney World. What? Moving along from that heinous crime all in itself, the witness then asked Mike what he had done with the previous tenant since, you know, it was the very same day. He said his gun misfired and mine didn't. That's the exact quote, apparently. Another witness known as Witness E claimed she didn't actually live at the residence. She just kind of stored her things in her room and she'd come and go and shower and do what she needed. And she had previously met Austin and Jessica about three times at the home. She remembered seeing full garbage bags in the bed of Mike's truck sometime after June 9th, even stating that the bags had such a foul odor coming from them, worse than any usual garbage smell she has ever come across. She claimed that Mike had issues with Jessica and Austin because they weren't paying the rent and that Mike believed that Austin had stolen vehicles from the Samoans and brought them to his house. She was aware that Mike had asked them to leave many times and then all of a sudden one day they were just like not there. That's obviously not suspicious. Well I guess one day she asked Mike if Austin and Jessica were still living there so she would know whether she needed to lock her room door or not. Mike told her quote you're not gonna have to worry about them anymore. I feel like some evil maniacal laugh is due right there, so ha 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 ha. Okay, moving on. When Mike was questioned by police, he denied having anything to do with these gruesome murders. He did admit that Austin and Jessica had been staying with him in an upstairs bedroom during the COVID quarantine period, and that they would often have arguments about the couple not paying the rent. On August 19th, a search of the home was done, finding blood in the room where Austin and Jessica had been staying, as well as bullet holes, also noticing that the room had recently been cleaned and repainted. When Mike was asked about the blood and the bullet holes, he said that he didn't know where the bullets could have, how, how, I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know how they got there. What are you talking about? I have no idea. Then he also said that, oh, I know how the blood got there. Jessica, yeah, she cut herself in the room. So that's probably where that's from. Yeah. Police also found a 9mm handgun located in Mike's truck. 
Police also noted that they had found spent rounds in what they called the blue room. Now, the blue room is the room that they basically called Jessica and Austin's room that they were living in. So blood, bullet holes, bullet shells, um, and a gun. Hmm. Oh, and they're not anywhere to be found. Obviously, Michael Dudley was then arrested on August 19th and since charged with two counts of second-degree murder for the death and dismemberment of Austin and Jessica. Bail was set to $5 million. Now, I was reading a bunch of places about, like, wh when he was supposed to have this arraignment and so forth, things saying September and then October. I couldn't really find where it stands. I know that he's in jail. There's a bail of $5 million, and I don't know when the trial is, like the actual trial. But I did find some things. So let me tell you about Michael Dudley, the phenomenal piece of human shit. Michael Dudley had a sexual assault restraining order filed against him by his very own daughter in June of 2018. The order was filed in Pierce County Superior Court and accuses Mike of a 10-year, 10-year, sorry, had to repeat that, pattern of sexual assault. You see what I'm saying? A real piece of shit. His daughter, who now uses a different name, stated in court documents that her father sexually assaulted her for about nine years, from age 10 until 18, which was about 2007, by drugging and raping her. He would force her to share a bed with him, make her watch him masturbate, and watch pornographic videos with him, even stating that she didn't feel safe at home and that he displayed and threatened to use a firearm or other dangerous weapons and that he was a serious imminent threat to the public health and safety. As I stated, just a real fine, fine gentleman. Michael also reportedly had locked Austin and Jessica in the house a few times, not as he claimed to witness D that they had locked him out. He locked them in the house. They even told people of a time that they saw him. Okay, this is really this beat a dog to death with a hammer, then leave it in the yard for three days. They were terrified. He would tell them to leave and then lock them in, and they, they felt absolutely trapped. An ex of Michael's said that he violently assaulted her and that in 2016, he was arrested and charged for assault. Now, again, I don't know exactly what's going on with the trial. I'm going to keep looking. I'll keep an eye out. I will update you guys on that. But I really just wanted to give the story case, you know, tell you about the victims behind the viral video that I, I'm pretty sure many of you saw. I know a lot of you from my TikTok come onto here. Thank you. I love you guys. And... You know, if you are, there's chances that you were scrolling and you saw this Rando Knot video. I mean, Rando Nautica blew up for a time there during lockdown. You guys, times were bleak. We were looking for some things. I don't see a lot of Rando Nautica apps now. I'm sure that if I just 
hashtag randonauticud on TikTok, I would get lost down the rabbit hole again. And quite frankly, I don't want to get that algorithm back. I like that I sleep a little bit now. I would sleep sometimes watching those videos, but I love it. <laughs> so, you know, we, we did, we, a lot of people ran on it. As I stated, I did that. And I remember this video popping up and seeing it and just being shocked that, oh, wow, they found something. But I do also remember, sadly, that I didn't hear anything for a bit, just heard about the video and then remains. I didn't know what had happened and I fell into research and I didn't stop. I did this all in like one day as, as well as I could because I wanted you guys to, to hear it. Usually I will research several different crimes at a time and just whichever one I would like to do, I focus on a little bit more because there's just so many things that I'm constantly doing. I kind of, I have ADHD. I'm, you know, I'm kind of researching, I'm sketching and doing work like commissions and then, you know, going out and doing acting. Like I'm doing multiple things all going on at once. So this case though, I had remembered that there were human remains found from a video and I decided I'm going to look up all that I can to give you guys this. Now, According to some sources, there is a theory because the medical examiner did state due to the autopsies in the body that she believed there were multiple people involved in the beating, murder, and dismemberment of Austin and Jessica. So because of this, some people, some people apparently online, I'm not sure, again, I don't know enough to say what I believe because I'm not a medical professional, but also it doesn't really, there's, it's just a little bit mixed for me to say maybe somebody else was involved and it wasn't just Mike. But right now, right now the evidence, the physical evidence is screaming that Mike Dudley did it. But because Austin had told so many people about the Samoans and that he had crossed them and that, that he was involved with the legal activity, they're saying, there's speculation by theories, by internet sleuths, you know, that possibly, I don't know why I said, you know, I'm one of those two, but that possibly he, Mike may have had a hand or maybe like other people were involved that Austin and Jessica had crossed. I do not know any solidity of truth to that, but that is a theory. Um, I myself do think that Mike obviously did this there's just a lot pointing to him and if somebody else is involved then sadly I, there is not a lot showing that they are and there's a lot showing that Mike is just a pretty bad person so he's obviously violent he's obviously sexually aggressive to the point to the point of violence rape drugging you know pedophilia because he was doing this to his own daughter, a minor, and just, you know, he's obviously not a, a fit, great person. So, yeah. I'd love to know what you guys think of this case. You guys can send me an email at what the actual EFF harmony at gmail.com. You guys tell me about what you guys think of these cases that I, I share with you. If you guys know of any cases, let me know as well. You can follow me as well on TikTok at oh hey, it's harmony. 
and uh, as well on Instagram. Send me messages. I try to get back to all that I can. It's pretty tough, um, but I do my best. I am very sorry, guys. I really do. But if you guys send me anything that has to do with a case or anything you'd like me to research, please make sure you put that known in the subject line of an email. It's really best if you do those via email because I try to get to those all. So I really hope you guys enjoyed the information behind a viral TikTok video that all just blew up during a a lockdown. So yeah, I hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving and I will talk to you guys next week on the next episode of What the Actual F. I love you guys. Stay safe. Goodbye. <laughs>